Well, good morning again, church. So grateful that you've chosen to gather with us. Um, as I mentioned last week, um, looking forward to being able to say thanks for bringing the church into a YMCA, but I can't say that uh, this morning. And just know that uh, as your church leadership, our hearts are longing to be uh, present with you all, to be uh, in flesh and blood and around uh, one another. Uh, but we are grateful that we can gather uh, this way in this particular time, um, and to be able to do this online. And so thanks for joining us wherever you happen to be. You've brought the church into your living room, and so we're so grateful. Um, and thanks for tuning in this morning. And as Eric made mention of just a few moments ago, a special welcome to uh, our church family down in Jupiter, to Cross Point Jupiter, and particularly to uh, Brian and Karina Sullivan. We love you guys. Uh, we've been praying for you and for Will and Alana and Weston, and uh, we just want you to know that your church, the broader Crosspoint family, that we love you guys dearly. Thank you for your ministry there, Brian. We uh, and all of you, we are so uh, saddened and we're grieving uh, with you all over the loss of your mother. Um, loved hearing the stories and the things that you've been sharing, but just about her gospel legacy. And so to the extended family, uh, those that loved her, knew her, um, just we'll be continuing to pray for you guys. Um, and Will... And Alana and Weston, if you happen to be watching this, uh, keep your eyes open for maybe a little care package that might be arriving in the next uh, few days from your Cross Point Winter Park family. And now that I've lost your attention. Anyway, let's continue with uh, our service. This morning, um, we are continuing our series through the great book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. And so I'd encourage you, if you've got a Bible, get that out, all right? Uh, you can also go to cpwp.life and click message notes. Swipe over and you'll find that message notes card. And you can follow along uh, with the slides this morning with sort of the overall outline. You can find the text there. I want to encourage you to, to dive in to, and to pay attention. We've got this great text that speaks to the reality of what does it look like to embrace the time that we're in? What does it look like to endure? What does it look like to be faithful, not only individually, but also collectively as the church? And so it's a timely word for us uh, this morning. So I want to go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the first 13 verses, and then we'll kind of make our way back through this great text. And I hope that you will be encouraged in it. I hope that you'll be challenged. I've been challenged this week just reflecting on this and the honesty, the vulnerability with which the Apostle Paul writes this. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. There's this raw sort of honesty that's been throughout this entire letter and again here in chapter six. And so let's hear these words and ask the Lord, what, what is it that you want to, to speak to us this morning? Second Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse one, it says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, by knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. 
as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Verse 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, and I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the Lord's word for us this morning. This is God's holy word. I wanna invite you uh, to say a short prayer with me uh, this morning. Just this prayer of illumination that the Holy Spirit might work in and through the proclamation, the preaching of God's word, even though it's a different environment that we're not all gathered together, we are still proclaiming God's word, all right? It isn't me preaching to a camera, but it is rather God's word being proclaimed to his people, certainly through a different medium, but it's God's word being proclaimed nonetheless. And so I'll put the words up on the screen, and I would invite you to pray these aloud with me. It says, living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord, amen. And so as we get into things this morning, one of the questions, just kind of thinking through, it's been throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, but I think even this morning, it might be helpful to ask sort of like, who are we? Now, I don't mean that in some sort of big existential question, though those questions might be coming up each and every day that you know, there's more and more quarantine, like, who am I? And we're having these sort of, sort of moments. But what I really mean in this, as it pertains to this text, is this idea of like, hey, are we supposed to receive this word as the church in Corinth? Are we to receive it as the ones being written to? Um, are we supposed to identify with them? Are we supposed to identify with the Apostle Paul um, and what he's been writing? Like, how are we to think about these things? And I think an accurate way to do this, a faithful way, is, is to be open to, to both, that there are things that we need to make sure that we aren't looking back and saying, I can't believe the Corinthians, thank goodness we're not like them. We need to see ourselves in that particular story, the way that Paul addresses them, like those are words that I need to hear and that you need to hear. And yet at the same time, what we see with the Apostle Paul is he describes things. And yes, it's descriptive, but I think there's some prescription in this. I think there's some ways that God through his spirit is, is inviting us to live as faithful missionaries in the time and place where the Lord has put us. And so we ask, like, who are we? Well, yes, we are very much like the church in Corinth. We are very much people in need of God's grace. And yet we also, as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, we're also ambassadors. And so the, the role that Paul played, this herald of the, the good news, not giving good advice, but rather proclaiming the good news of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Like we need to see, okay, how did he live and how did he embody this? And so as we get into it this morning, the first thing that we see in the first couple of verses is Paul is pleading with the church in Corinth. Let me read these words again, chapter six, verses one to two says, working together with him. So as he ended, the end of chapter five, we've been reminded that we're ambassadors. There's this great declaration where it says in verse 21, this is the end of chapter five, for our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we take that message and the apostle Paul then says, working together with him. So just stop for a moment and remember this. If you're a Christian this morning, you and I are 
redemptively sort of working with Christ. Like he's the one that brings about redemption, but he invites us into this story to be agents and ministers of reconciliation. We get to work together with him, empowered by the Spirit. It says, so we work together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. The apostle Paul here is referencing it. This is an Old Testament reference out of the book of Isaiah. And he sees himself in that kind of prophetic stream of declaring, look what the Lord is going to do. And so for the people a couple thousand years ago in Corinth, they needed to know, oh, God is speaking to them. And you in your living room, wherever you happen to be watching this, on a TV, on your phone, whatever it looks like this morning, know this, that God through his word is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. This is his word. It's living and active. And there's this appeal that's happening. And he says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so Paul has been, he's absolutely just pleading with the people. The Lord wants to do something. Now, there has been a lot of pleading in our house over the past uh, few days. And the reason being, all right, um, is that uh, some of you may have seen this if you follow us on social media or whatnot, um, that our family, uh, we had to put our beloved dog down earlier th- this week and then wasted zero time, all right, because we we're like, hey, if we're going to be quarantined and we want another puppy, what better time to get one than we're all stuck at, at the house? Or at least that was what we thought, all right? And so uh, we picked up uh, this new dog. There's a picture of, of her, all right? Um, and so not necessarily advising, go get a puppy during quarantine, but this is what we, what we did. And her name's Bailey, and she's super cute, at least in that picture. And then other times, she is a holy terror. And so what has been happening over the past few days, there's been lots and lots of pleading of like, Bailey, don't bite that. Bailey, don't chew that. Bailey, that's not. No, you can't jump up on that. No, you can't do that. You need to do that in the yard, not on the rug. Like all sorts of things where we're pleading with her, just kind of begging her to to listen, all right? But that is at one level, that is a pleading, as silly as this illustration is, that is a pleading that's selfishly rooted. It's like, don't eat that. I don't want you to destroy my shoes. Don't do that because I don't want to have to clean up after you. Don't bite me because I don't want more marks on my arm like I have right now. All of it is selfishly rooted. There's a pleading because it's like, hey, this serves me. Please don't do that, all right? That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is pleading with a group of people, and though it would cost him everything, he's willing to be poured out. Like, he looks to Jesus, who literally emptied himself, and Paul is like, I am doing that, Corinth, for you because I love you. I'm not trying to earn the affections of Jesus. I am so rooted and grounded in the love that God has for me that I'm willing to enter into this death. I'm willing to be poured out and I'm pleading with you. Receive God's grace. And so as we think about this, he's writing primarily to a group of people who are followers of Jesus. And certainly he says, he's saying to those that may not believe, behold, now is the day of salvation, all right? But he's also saying to a group of already Jesus followers, I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so let me ask you, church, specifically in this time, what are you doing with the grace of God? Are you receiving it in vain? Are you thinking through, yeah, 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 I I know that, I get it. Or are you stopping to consider, what might the Lord be teaching me during this time? How might he be wanting to work in and through me, in my household, within our church? Like, what might that actually look like? Would it be said of us, 
that we took the grace of God and it was like in vain, like we just sort of discarded it? Or are we entering in again and again into the story? The story that we're even celebrating this week, where we're focusing in on the God who came to dwell with us, the God who gave up everything, and the God who rose again and one day is coming back. Like that's the story that we are called now to embody, to follow Jesus, to take up our cross. And so there's this invitation like, what are you doing with God's grace? Are you resting in the grace of God? And then let me ask maybe a related thing to this, because Paul says, now is the favorable time. Now, I don't know that any of us right now are walking around um, with just all the circumstances and all the chaos and all the disruption and all the hurt and the pain and the real sorrow and the loss and thinking, oh, this is a favorable time. Like that seems a little callous and, and cold and I don't mean it in that way. But I think it is worth asking, do you and I, do we view this moment as the favorable time? Like what does that actually mean? Well, I think if we, are honest with ourselves, we have to stop and sort of evaluate, Lord, what have I been resting in? What have I been relying on? Uh, when we have those sort of moments of frustration and things bubble up, where there's this sadness, or there's this lament, it's helpful to ask ourselves, like, hey, what is our ultimate hope? What is the story that we're part of? If you're somebody that's maybe trying to figure out what you actually believe, like, don't waste this time. Like, dive into these these. Um, these concerns and these questions and ask yourself, like, what story am I part of? Is it one where I'm trying to earn things or I'm trying to keep things together and in control and just if I can get enough information, I'll be able to fix this? Or is it resting in the grace of God, a God who is upholding us right now, a God who wasn't surprised by this virus, a God who absolutely is still ruling and reigning? And so ask yourself, how do you view this moment? I believe we could look back on it as a favorable time, not because there won't be loss. We already know that there is. But as a favorable time of like, Lord, there's something that you are doing in my life and in the people that I love in their lives and brought out broad, more broad, broadly into the community. What might God do during this time? Let's not close ourselves off to that. So there's this very poignant sort of question that Paul is saying, like, don't neglect the grace of God. Like, press into the story. So, do you view this moment as the favorable time? Now, what we're going to see here, look with me at verses 3 to 10. The Apostle Paul is one who perseveres. He doesn't say, hey, it's favorable and it's easy. All right, He doesn't mean by that that it's easy. He's saying it absolutely is hard, it is difficult, but he perseveres. And so as we look back over these verses, all right, it says this. In verse 3, Paul says, we put no obstacle. It means we put no stumbling block in anyone's way, all right? He's saying the gospel itself is offensive enough, all right? The gospel itself is this foolishness oftentimes because people hear it and it's being, being received as like, wait, like I am a sinner. I'm separated from God. I can't do this on my own. Like it, it confronts all of our sort of modern sensibilities where we think we're pretty great and we've got things together. But Paul, what he's saying is like, okay, the gospel is going to confront us, but he's saying as the ministers of this reconciliation, he says, all right, we don't put any obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found within our ministry. He doesn't believe that he's perfect, doesn't believe the people that he's traveling with are perfect, but he's saying there's this integrity, there's this sort of wholeness, there's this pursuit of living in such a way that would be God-honoring so that their life bears witness to the reality of Jesus and that it doesn't distract people. And so as we think about this, both as how do we receive what Paul said at the church in Corinth, but also if we are ambassadors, 
What does your life look like? What does my life look like? Are we putting any sort of stumbling block? Are we saying with our lips we believe and we trust in Jesus, and that, but yet our emotional response and the words that we say and just our actions and how we carry ourselves, our countenance, sort of betrays that? It's like, yep, Jesus is king, and yet we functionally try and make sure that we've got things under control. Let's not neglect the grace of God. Let's embrace it during this time. And so Paul says, we don't put an obstacle, all right? He says, but as servants of God, and that's the posture that he takes. He looks at Jesus, who's the ultimate servant, the one who would wash the disciples' feet, the one who would give up his life, this suffering servant that is Jesus, and Paul identifies now. He says, hey, I'm part of that story. And if you're a Christian, that's the story that you're invited into. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. This is not a patting on the back, but rather a, he's, he's laying out for the Corinthians, like, hey, this is what it looks like to faithfully pursue Jesus amidst all the difficulties. And so he uses this line, he says, at the end of, cha- or at the end of verse four, by great endurance. And so everything that flows from here until verse 10, I think that could be the big heading, by great endurance. And what we're going to see here is that there's this movement, really, from death to resurrection, that Paul is identifying himself with the story of Jesus. And so as we look back over these texts, or over these verses, and we'll do that more in a moment, I want us to keep in mind something that I brought up last week, and I want to keep coming back to this. Right? It's this idea of a J curve. All right? and so if you think of the letter J and sort of this starting and there's this downward descent, it's about the, the death that Jesus experienced that leads to a resurrection. And that is the story that we're invited into. And so during this time of this global pandemic, but not just during that this time, we're becoming more aware of it right now as we see our needs and all of that. All the time, the story for a Christian is one of this downward descent of dying to self and then being resurrected by the power of the gospel. And so that's, I think, what's happening here in these particular verses, that the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, if we're going to persevere, it's only when we identify, when we come into that particular story. So Paul Miller, in his book, J-Curve, says it's this way. He says, my goal, he says, is to draw you, the reader, into the dying and rising of Jesus, to reset, reset our sense of the normal Christian life freeing you from cynicism and despair. Inhabiting the J-curve promises to transform your entire vision of how you engage life, freeing you from the world of resentment, touchiness, and just plain old grumpiness. If we just stop there, I mean, how many of us, I know for me, those are perfect descriptors of how I've been over the past few days, right? What if we could be freed from that? He says, in inviting you into Jesus's world, a world rich with joy, hope, and love. And so let's look for a moment just at the, these verses, what the Apostle Paul is, is doing, all right? We're going to look at four to five. We're going to look at verses six to, to seven, the first part, and then the last part of verse seven into eight. And you kind of see what really is sort of this downward descent, and then it leads to resurrection. I want us as a church, all right, to be able to say the words of, of Paul where he ends in, in verse 10, and he makes this bold declaration where he says, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Like, how in the world is that even possible? How can one say that? And so as we look back at verse four to five, what we begin to see is Paul says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves. And then he says, by great endurance. And he just begins to list off in, in, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, 
hunger. So we just stop there for a moment. Paul is saying, this is what I've been living. So if somebody ever sold you on Christianity that it's just gonna be this amazing thing and everything is gonna go, go perfect, they lied to you. The reality of the Christian life is meant to look like this because we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, we're not going after suffering. We're not pursuing that in some sort of masochistic way that that actually brings life. Paul didn't pursue these things like, ooh, I can't wait to find somebody that'll arrest me or beat me or leave me for dead. But rather, he understands that when these things happen, he's living this sort of J-curve pattern. He's living and he's following Jesus. And so just think about it this way. There is suffering that happens to every single one of us and we didn't cause it, we didn't do it, but it's happening to us. And that is an opportunity, as painful as it is to say, Lord, you're gonna bring me through this. There's a dying and there's going to be resurrection on the other side. If there was only the bottom descent, this would be an incredibly discouraging and despairing message but we know where this goes. Holy Week is this reminder of this descent of God, all right, who would die, Jesus would die for us, but then rise again, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And so sometimes it's things that happen to us. There's also opportunities that we have as the people of God. This is what verses six to seven get into, where it's not so much that things are happening to us, but rather, because Paul begins to list out some virtues. Like, look with me, beginning in verse six. He says, by purity, and knowledge, and patience. So far, we're like, these are all good things, right? Why is he listing this with all these horrible things that have happened? I think if we understand this, we'll see, though, it's still the pattern of Jesus, because how easy is it to live with purity? How easy is it to live with sort of a knowledge of what, it, what is true? How easy is it to have patience and kindness? Maybe you thought, oh, I'm a relatively patient person. And then you got locked in your home and you couldn't you know, go anywhere, think, right? Like we realized, oh, maybe I'm not as patient as I thought. Maybe I'm not as kind as I thought. He says, the Holy Spirit, all right? Like, wait, what, what is that referring to? Like, why is that listed here? Why is the Holy Spirit? Well, when there's a pursuit of the, the Spirit, when there's genuine love, he says, beginning in verse seven, by truthful speech and the power of God. These are all really good things, right? These would be all things that, that we would want. And yet, Let's be honest, to pursue those things costs us. And so part of maybe this descent downward is us as the church, like the Apostle Paul, being willing to say, there are some things that are gonna happen to me that I can't control, but there also is an intentionality that I'm gonna live in a peaceful way, a peace-pursuing way, with kindness. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to love people sacrificially because at the end of the day, that's what he's speaking to. There's a death because love and patience and kindness like it always costs. And so what is he reminding us of? The story of Jesus. It leads to this resurrection. And then he concludes as we pick back up in verse seven and into the first part of eight, all right? He says, with the weapons of righteousness, there's sort of these contrasts that are happening and we don't know exactly what he's referring to, all right? It might be with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left that maybe one is a sword and then the other is holding a shield. But there's this imagery here and there's these contrasting images that are given through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. And so what Paul is saying is like, at the end of the day, like there are people that are going to speak ill of you. They spoke ill of Paul. They maligned him. They misrepresented him. That's what's going on in Corinth. There's a group of people that he loves. He cares for deeply. He helped start this church. He can't be with them right, right now. And his heart is going out for them. And 
towards them, and yet some are still being critical of him. And he can't control that. And there are people that are critical of you. And as if you've ever tried to lead anything, the reality is there's going to be criticism. And you will not make everybody happy. I will not make everybody happy in, in trying to love and pursue people and have kindness and patience and all of that. Like it's this downward descent. And when we experience that, just know this, Christian, you are in the story of Jesus that we can find a joy in that because we've been counted worthy somehow to have this happen so we might actually enter more fully into the story of Jesus. That is what is happening here as we talk about this J-curve. But thankfully, it doesn't just sort of bottom out and leave us there. That Paul, look with me at these verses in eight, the back of eight through verse 10. He says, all right, so we are treated as imposters. So you can start to see this sort of swing up and yet are true as unknown, and yet we're well-known, as dying, and then, and behold. And Paul's used that word behold several times. It's like, pay attention. This is amazing. Marvel at this. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So yes, we can be a people, like we would grieve, but what resurrection that story invites us into is we can lament, we can lament what's happening right now, the loss that we're experiencing, all of that, and yet always rejoicing. That doesn't mean our head is in the sand and we don't recognize the pain and that we don't grieve. I mean, go and read the Psalms. You will see more Psalms of lament than any other type. I mean, we can be honest with God. We can be pour out a sort of raw emotions. God, this is hard. This is terrible. I don't know why this is happening. This doesn't make any sense. And yet... When we understand the Christian story, if God can use the death of his son, he can use any and all circumstances, including the moment we find ourselves in right now, yet always rejoicing. This is resurrection language. As poor, and I expect him to say, and yet becoming rich, but what it says is, as poor, yet making many rich. Like, that's the great joy. Like, we get to point people to the riches that are in the gospel, And then it concludes with this, one of my favorite lines, as having nothing. Paul's like, literally, I could lose absolutely everything. I could be in prison. I could be maligned. I could be beaten. I might actually ultimately give my life. I can literally be stripped of everything and yet possess everything. What an amazing picture as having nothing yet possessing everything. And so I want to just explore just for a couple moments here, all right, as we kind of conclude this text. Like, how, how can you and I actually be people that could say that with the Apostle Paul as having nothing and yet possessing? Because we're in a time right now, too, of like there's real loss. It's not hypothetical. It's not this might happen. Like it's here. It's present. It's in your living room. It's in your life and in my life. There are things that are happening. And for the Christian, we actually have the resources for ourselves, but also to share with a watching world of like, how we actually can declare this. And not in some sort of flippant way, not where we don't enter into people's pain, but we can actually say, I might actually have nothing to show, but I actually possess everything. And the beauty here, and Paul speaks of it, I'll read another passage, another letter that he composed in the book of Romans. I want us to look at these words because they answered this question. How can we say this? How can we say, I don't have like... Literally, there's nothing, and yet I possess everything. It's because the Apostle Paul was gripped by the reality of what he had in Christ. And so church, let me read these words towards the end of Romans 8 over us. And my prayer, even just like right now in the moment, we 
we would all hear them afresh. If they're familiar words to us, that our minds wouldn't drift, but rather we would hear the words and we would see the words and the Spirit might press those on our hearts right now where we would be reminded, we would be encouraged, we would know, oh, this is it. Having nothing and yet possessing everything because these words are true. This is the story that you're part of. Romans 8, 31 to 39. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see what the apostle Paul is doing there? It's this reminder of like, hey, we might worry about the things that we're going to lose, but we gain everything in Christ. And if God has given us his son, like how will he not give us everything else that, that we need? That he's going to provide for us, that he's taking care of us, that there's this promise that we have in the story. And so he tells us this. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Like there's no condemnation. And God, through, like Jesus himself was raised, he's interceding for you. How amazing is that? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Like Paul's just listing off all these things and we could throw in our global pandemic and we could throw in then all the cascading sort of implications of that, of what it's doing to the economy, what it's doing to our anxiety levels, to our mental health, what it's, what it's doing to just the time and energy and just the worry that is all out there. All of these things. And Paul is reminding the people a couple thousand years ago, and we're being reminded in this moment, well, what can separate us? So he says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And we sort of feel this acutely. But Paul then, really what God is doing, he says, no, in all these things, all these horrible things that are happening, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, angel rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, this is incredibly good news. How can we say these words? It's when we realize this is the story that we're part of that no pandemic can take away, no loss can take away, that there's a, an assurance here that though we descend like Jesus and there's death and there's suffering and there's misunderstanding and there's fears, resurrection is coming. We look ahead this Friday to the reality of what Jesus did who died in our place and then three days later rose again showing that, that gift that he'd paid for it all. It was accepted by God. He conquered Satan, sin and death so we can live as resurrection people. This is the story that we're part of. And so let me ask you this, church, like, will you say these things? Not just how can we, like, how could Paul say this? Well, he knew the story that he was part of, but he also did say these things. And will you and I say these things? There's a level of vulnerability here. The apostle Paul is literally laying before people. In fact, it might be said this way, that sort of the elephant or elephants in the room with the church in Corinth, where there are a lot of people that thought, hey, he can't be a legit apostle. He's probably not all that we thought he was because of all these things that have happened to him, all the suffering 
And Paul's like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna shy away from that. I'm gonna put that out there. I got nothing to prove to you. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm awesome. I'm actually just telling you this is what's happened and the difficulty of it and the persevering in it. When he understands that he is sort of untouchable, it doesn't matter what people say to him. It doesn't matter if at the end of the day, like as he would do, actually give his life. He's like, I am with Jesus. And so will you say these things? There's an invitation to a particular level of vulnerability that the apostle Paul showcases for us here. And when you and I understand how assured we are of our salvation, of the place and the story that we are, you and I then can say these things. And that's what this leads to, this last couple of verses, 11 to 13. Paul then invites the church. It's like kind of a pleading again. He invites Corinth, but we're invited right now to participate. It says this. It says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. I love the way Eugene Peterson in his uh, work, The Message, sort of summarizes this. Here's this sort of paraphrase. It says, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Church, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, it allows us, like the Apostle Paul, to live with an open heart, to live expansively, to say this is really, really hard, and yet to also rejoice always. Only the Christian story allows for those things. There's lots and lots of stories you can be part of where there's a lament or there's lots and lots of stories about like, oh, everything, kind of this positive thinking. But the Christian story holds those intention that can look and say, yes, there's death, but there's also resurrection because this is the story of Jesus. And so church, here's my very practical challenge for us this week. Thinking about this, like sort of let's take this sort of this open heart challenge. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, open up your hearts to one another, right? Will you participate this week? And this is not just a rhetorical question. I'm asking you like to do this this week. Will you take a moment to disclose with somebody, perhaps in, you know, another, a fellow believer, somebody within the, the church, somebody in your community group, a, a friend, whatever it happens to be, and just to share openly and honestly, like here's, here are the things that are a challenge. Here's where I'm suffering. Here's the things that like, I actually am sort of embarrassed to admit. I think it'd be a really healthy thing for us. But then also we get to rejoice that we're part of the, this story together. And so the open heart challenge would be simply like, would we do that? Would we live in an expansive way? Paul is pleading with this because he's like, I want more for you, he's saying to the church in Corinth. And I know God wants more for you and for me and for us collectively as a church. And so seek out opportunities with a fellow believer and then also look for the opportunities when you're talking with a neighbor or somebody who doesn't believe what you believe to be able to be honest with them. You don't have to do this sort of like, oh yeah, everything's amazing. I love Jesus. Like you can be like, this is really hard. I'm really sorrowful. This is going on. But to actually speak to the reality of the resurrection. That is our great opportunity that we have. And so church, let me close our time in, in prayer. We're going to go before the Lord with open hearts. And we're going to ask him to move, to continue to move. I'm going to put up in just a moment, there'll be a, a slide up on the, the screen. 
and just some things for about two minutes, just that you can be there in your home. If, if, if you want to pray these silently, if you've got a group of people that are, that are together, your family perhaps, a roommate, like you can pray some of these things out loud together, but just take a couple moments, and then we'll close together with the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll, we'll worship together um, through song. But let's go before the Lord now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us. We need you. We need your strengthening during this time. Perhaps part of your grace toward us right now is we are becoming more aware of what's always been true, that we are needy people, that we need your grace. We need to rest in the finished work. We need to see the story that we're part of. There are lots of things, Lord, that are on our hearts right now, and we thank you that you're a father, that you care deeply, and that we can come before you. And so, church, I want to invite you right now just to take a couple of minutes and use the things that will be up here on, on the screen as just prompts to be praying through. And so let's take a couple moments now and let's go before the Lord and let's cry out to him. Let's open up our hearts to him and ask him to move.